well, before we jump into the service, I got a couple of things, a um, little bit of housekeeping for us um, since I got you guys and I'm talking to you. Um, Tuesday night, uh, as opposed to our community group meeting, Tuesday night we're going to do uh, a prayer time on Zoom. Uh, we did this last Friday. We did this Friday afternoon. It worked really well. So we're going to do it Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. Um, I will send out the link uh, to get you connected. You, there's also a phone number where if uh, jumping on a computer is not possible, you can jump on um, the phone call and we can uh, spend some time praying together. So that's going to be Tuesday night. We're going to pray together at 7. Um, and then we're also going to do another one Thursday in the afternoon as well. And so uh, we'll have Tuesday night, we'll have Thursday afternoon, and then um, this is Holy Week, as we're going to talk about in a little bit, and we, uh, we are going to have a Good Friday service uh, that will happen. Um, it's going to get posted online. It won't be live, but it will be posted online um, at uh, 7.30. Um, we're actually going to be doing it in conjunction with uh, uh, Pastor Will from Aston Street Community Church. He's going to help us out. And so we are going to have a service. It's going to get online um, at about 7.30 on Friday night. So that will be uh, happening for you. Um, and then... Uh, Saturday, um, the day in between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, uh, what I want us to do, um, and I will send out more details on this in an email, um, but what I want us to do is from 10 a.m. on Saturday all the way till 10 a.m. Sunday morning, um, I would like for us to be in prayer, um, praying for one another, praying for our world, praying for um, our church, churches around the city, churches around the world, just, just praying. Um, and so what I'm going to have you do is I'm going to send a sign-up sheet for you to take an hour during that 24-hour period, take an hour for yourself. Um, now, it does not mean you need to be just alone praying for an hour straight. If you want to, amen. Um, but what it means is your hour, whether it's 10 to 11, 11 to 12, whatever it is, um, I want you to be intentional with that. If, if those are a bunch of short prayers as you're going about your day, as you're working, great. Um, if that's one or two long good prayers, and the rest of the time, maybe you read some scripture, whatever it might be. Um, I'm not expecting you to, like I said, sit, um, sit alone for uh, an hour straight and praying, but uh, I would like to uh, have you guys um, sign up for an hour. So we are going to, um, we're going to do that starting uh, Saturday. I'm going to send out a sign-up sheet so everybody can take an hour, and we're going to go 24 hours. So uh, my night owls, uh, I would love for you to, to be able to jump in there. Um, uh, and then Sunday, we're going to have the Zoom uh, before the service as well. Um, say Holy Spirit. I don't, okay. The, the Holy Spirit is with us. That part you want me? I'm getting notes. Oh, sorry. Um, the candle. Um, I am, uh, I'm getting notes. See, we're just still making this up on the fly. Um, the candle is here as a tangible, physical reminder of the fact that the Holy Spirit is with us. Um, He's with you exactly where you are. He's with us here. He's with us all the time. Um, and that's just that, that, that's a reminder that, yes, we're in a disconnected kind of season, um, but this is a season where uh, God has not left us. God has not forsaken us. He is with us. And so um, that's there as a reminder of that. So, uh, so this is Holy Week. Like I said, we enter in. This is Palm Sunday, the day where we celebrate Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, um, where it's... Um, waving palm branches and singing out Hosanna and it's a lot and it's big and it's boisterous and this is not the way we thought this was going to go. This is not the Palm Sunday or the Holy Week any of us were expecting. This is not a week any of us were expecting. Our schedules and our rhythms have been altered and disrupted and 
quite frankly, stolen from us. There is this sense of confusion and frustration and depression kind of hovering, growing as this continues. I'll be honest, this week I got overwhelmed by a whole bunch of stuff. All at once just kind of hit me one after the other. And the combination of this being disconnected from people and just the stress of all of the different changes and things going on and the lack of Wrigley Field hot dogs in my stomach, it just came together and just overwhelmed me. And I'm so thankful for all of the people in our church and in my life that will just are able to lift me up and, and have been praying for me and um, just having those relationships and being able to send those texts and calls has been a great blessing. Um, but this is the season that we're in. There's this kind of cloud hanging overhead, this lack of normalcy swirling around us. And so because of that, I'm sure that all of us will not forget this holy week. That this is a holy week unlike any we have ever experienced before. But I will say it is not the first time that holy week has had these kind of emotional highs and lows and confusion surrounding it. Not only as you go throughout history have you seen churches and the church have to endure through pandemics and plagues and persecution and the church has still stood no matter what was coming at it. But if you go all the way back to that very first holy week, the original one, it was not normal. For the disciples and for Jesus himself, it was a week of highs and lows. He shows up and they are singing out, Hosanna, blessed is the king. And by the end of the week, it is shouts of crucify him. This was an intense week of re relational distress. It was the righteous anger of flipping the tables in the temple. It was the quiet upper room last supper between friends. The portrayal of Jesus, the abandonment of the disciples, Peter's denial, the pain and suffering and death of Jesus, all of it mixed all together. But all of it holds no weight in comparison to the joy found that Sunday morning when the tomb was empty. Make no mistake, this Holy Week, it's weird. As weird as it may be standing before us, it has many of the same realities and emotional guide points that the original one had. And so as we walk through this Holy Week together, I want you to remember, Sunday is coming. The dawn of the resurrection is coming. The joy of the resurrection is coming. All is not lost. This is but a moment. Really, this is an opportunity for us to step in and be intentional. We have been saying it over and over. Do we live like we believe what we say we believe in? Who can you connect with? Who can you reach out to? Who can you care for and pray for in this time of uncertainty, especially in this Holy Week? So this morning, we are going to continue with our My Name Is series. And since this is Palm Sunday, it's a special Sunday, we're actually going to do two names. You get two for the price of one this morning. Yes, the sermon is doubly long. Uh, so we're going to cover two names of Jesus. We're going to cover the Lamb and the Lion. Originally, this was going to be two different sermons. We were going to tackle one one week, and then Easter was going to be the other one. But the more and more I read and studied, the more and more I see that these two names of Jesus work together. In fact, they flow so well together that I would contend that Jesus is not just a lion and not just a lamb, but he is a lion because he is a lamb, and he is a lamb because he is a lion. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we are going to jump in in Revelation chapter 5. So please 
bow your heads, close your eyes, and uh, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, for this opportunity to gather, even virtually, to get to open your word and know that our brothers and sisters around the city are opening your word together and that we get to do this and your Holy Spirit is moving and flowing through not only this city but this world. Lord, as we study your word this morning, give us eyes to see. Give us minds to understand. Give us hearts to believe. Give us the will to respond. Lord, we pray as we are in this season. God, my continuous prayer throughout this time has been, Lord, we ask for your mercy. We ask that you would put an end to this virus, that you would stop it in its tracks, that it would be done, that there would be healing across the world, that there, this virus would no longer spread, that you would do what only you can do in a mighty and powerful way, show up and put an end to this so that there might be healing and rejoicing and celebrating in the goodness of who you are. But Lord, as we endure this, give us the endurance needed. Give us the strength. Give us the patience. Give us the ability to be a comfort to those around us. Lord, as we get farther and farther into this season of disconnection, help us to connect with you. Help us to connect with one another, even through texts and calls and FaceTime. And Lord, as, we, as this virus spreads, it's, the circles, the, the degrees of separation are becoming smaller and smaller. Help us to be a comfort. Help us to be a place and people of peace in the midst of all of this. Help us to remember that you are still in control of all things all the time. As we open your word this morning, I pray that you would show up as you promised that you will if we come looking for you. So God, we're looking for you right now and we ask that you would show up. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus, and in his name, amen. We're going to be in Revelation 5, uh, starting in verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So before we uh, jump 
dive deep into Revelation 5. I'm going to back up and I want to talk a little bit about this, these roles of lion and lamb, this imagery that is throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. Because this idea of the lion of Judah showing up goes back all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, goes back to Genesis. As Jacob, who's known as Israel, is getting ready to die, he prays over his 12 sons. He's blessing his 12 sons. His 12 sons and their families will eventually make up the 12 tribes of Israel. And in Genesis 49.9, he's praying over his son Judah, and he prays and says, Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. This imagery of the lion, the lion is the king of the jungle. He does what he wants, he eats who he wants, he is power, he devours his prey, he is authority. The male lion usually lives in what's known as a pride, mostly made up of female lions and cubs. He protects them fiercely and loyally. He does not run or hide when danger comes. Instead, he goes and attacks. And it would be that the tribe of Judah would always be associated with royalty, with power and prestige. This image of a lion associated with the family line, protecting, powerful, leading the people of God. And then you see the role of the lamb in the Old Testament. First showing up in Exodus 12, during, while the Israelites are in slavery in Egypt, God sends Moses to lead his people out of slavery and then has to send the ten plagues to try and soften the heart of Pharaoh. And finally, we get to the tenth plague where Moses tells Pharaoh, if you do not let God's people go, then the death of the firstborn of the house will flow through Egypt. There will be death throughout Egypt. But God gave a way for the Israelites to avoid experiencing this. He tells them in Exodus 12, You shall take a lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it onto the doorposts and the lintels of the houses in which they eat it. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. It was because of the spotless lamb's blood spilt to avoid death in the household throughout Egypt. It would, be, it would go on to be known as the Passover. It was actually what Jesus and his disciples were celebrating. It's why they're in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, to celebrate Passover. The high point of this being this lamb's blood being spilt and put on the doorpost so that the people would avoid death. Later on in Leviticus, as we, God gives the Israelites the law, gives them the, the code to live by, he tells them in Leviticus 4, when it comes to sin offerings, he says, if he brings a lamb as his offering for a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish, lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it for a sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offerings. Then the priest shall take the blood of the sin offering with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out all of the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And all its fat he shall remove as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of peace offerings and the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the Lord's food offerings. 
and the priest shall make atonement for him and for the sin he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. Over and over throughout history, they were sacrificing lambs as a sin offering, as this physical reminder of God's forgiveness. And there was one day a year, the Day of Atonement, the High Holy Day, where the priest would lay an offering down for all people throughout all of the nation. And it says in Leviticus 16 that he, would, he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. The sacrifices of lambs, perfect, spotless, without blemish lambs, has always been tied to sin sacrifice for the people of Israel. It was always connected in their minds. They knew that if there was sin, there needed to be blood. But we see problems with these Old Testament imageries. Because no one person could fulfill the role of leader of God's people rightly. No one person could truly stand in as this lion of Judah. Sin would corrupt and plague them. The lion of Judah was too weighty of a role for any normal person to do on their own because of their sin nature. And when it came to animal sacrifices, when it came to the sacrifices of lambs, the blood of animals cannot save you. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 10, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers have once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. He is saying, look, you have to give this sin sacrifice over and over again, which shows its ineffectiveness, the fact that you have to keep on doing it. And every time you do it, you have to re-remember that you are a sinner, that you have fallen short. He says very clearly at the end, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So this is all foreshadowing. Something better has to be coming. Something that could actually take away our sins has to be coming. These are but images of something better to come. And with that longing and desire for something, for someone better to come in our hearts, stirring us to look to the horizon, we look and we see Jesus. He is the Lion of Judah, ruling, defending, powerful, and majestic. And he is, as John the Baptist says, when he sees Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is for us the one true ultimate sacrifice for our sins in our place. And he can be both of these roles because he is both of these things. What I mean is that he can be the Lion of Judah because he is a Lamb. And he can be the Lamb of God because he is a Lion. He is a Lion like a Lamb. And so that brings us to Revelation, where, we, where I, we read earlier. And those first couple of verses in Revelation, the whole book of Revelation actually is written by John, the Apostle John. John had become such a nuisance to the leadership. He had been proclaiming and preaching the gospel. He refused to stop preaching Jesus. They even tried to boil him alive at one point to kill him, and he would not die, and he would not stop preaching the gospel. And so eventually, they banish him to isolation. Does that ring true for anybody? They banish him to an island to die alone. And so he writes from isolation to Christians living under severe persecution at the time. 
and he is given visions of heaven and the glory of God revealed to him. And in Revelation 5, we are given a description of what it looks like around the throne of God. It says, there is one who sits on the throne and he has a scroll in his hand and the scroll is sealed with seven seals. The one on the throne is God the Father. His scroll may be representing his will, his plans, his, the, the, how the rest of this is going to play out, his destiny for the world. And that's why, partially why John is weeping that no one can open it. No one can open it. No one who, is, no one who has lived, no one who is living, no one who is going to live is good enough, strong enough, holy enough, righteous enough to do what is needed to see the will and glory of God fully play out in humanity. But then we see in verse 5, Wait, there's, there's one. One of the elders sitting near the throne says there is one. There is one who conquers. One who defeats. One who is strength and power and authority and might. The Lion of Judah. He has the power to take the scroll and open it. And how does he have that power? Where does he get that power from? Where does this authority and power and majesty come from? It comes from the fact that he was the sacrificial lamb for all the world. Paul writes in Philippians 2, it says, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The writer of Hebrews says later on in Hebrews 10 that when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Because he was humble, because he allowed himself like a lamb who will not defend itself, the very opposite of a lion, a soft, gentle lamb, he allowed himself to be taken, beaten, tortured, and executed because he intentionally chose to lay down and lay aside his power and glory and majesty so that he could die on a cross for our sins in our place. Because he was the lamb, Jesus is the lion of Judah. It is through his sacrifices, the lamb, that Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. That as Paul said, he is exalted above every other name. His authority over sin and hell and death isn't in, in itself is proclaimed in the death and resurrection of Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lion of Judah stands triumphant as the conqueror who can open the scroll because he was humble enough to be the sacrificial lamb for us. But just because I say that he is a lion like a lamb, that doesn't take away from his lion characteristics. He is still powerful. He is still protective. He is still fierce. During Holy Week, one of the key events that we talk about often during Holy Week is that when he gets to Jerusalem, he goes to the temple and he sees that there were groups of people taking advantage of the poor, taking advantage of the Gentiles, taking advantage and trying to make this about money, turning the church world into business, trying to take advantage and distracting those from coming to worship. 
abusing and misusing the temple, and so Jesus is flipping tables and he kicks them out. And actually in John's account of it, in John 2, Jesus is so righteously angry with them that when he sees what's going on, he walks out and he gets the materials to make a whip. You know how angry you got to be to hold on to that anger long enough to walk out, make a whip, then come back in and still start flipping tables and yelling. He wants to protect those who are weak. Those who are initially far from him, those who are searching after him, he wants to protect them and allow them to come to him. He scolds the disciples in Mark's Gospels when they try to keep the children from getting to Jesus. The lion protects those who are weaker than he is. That's what he's doing in going to Jerusalem in the first place. Knowing that the cross is before him, he is protecting those who are weaker, those who cannot save ourselves, you and I. He is going to be our protector to protect us from the wrath of sin that waits for us. But don't think that was easy or simple. Don't think it was just another day at the office for Jesus because his focus, his determination, his choice to go to Jerusalem knowing full well what was waiting for him, this death as the lamb, to do that, Jesus, it took Jesus being a lion. And he was able to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was able to go and sacrifice himself because he is the lion. He is a lion like a lamb, yes, but he is also a lamb like a lion. We see in Revelation in verse 5, The elder said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. In verse 5, the elders tell John it was the lion of Judah who could open the scroll. And when John looks up in verse 6, what he sees is not what he expected. He expected Aslan. He expected Mufasa. But instead what he saw was a lamb. And not just a lamb, but a lamb that was slaughtered. It was bloody. And on top of that, this lamb has seven horns and seven eyes. That's a very different image than a powerful lion. This lamb is not like any normal lamb. First off, notice he is standing. Though it looks like he's been slaughtered, he stands. You know what lambs that have been slaughtered don't do? Stand. He was not slumped over in a heap. He is not motionless and lifeless. No, he is standing right where he belongs, in the throne room. The slain lamb stands alive and well because he is the lamb like a lion. And let's address the seven horns and the seven eyes. A horn is a symbol of power in the Bible. And seven is the number of fullness and completeness. Jesus has full and complete power because he is the lamb. The eyes, John explains, are the seven spirits which... Many interpret this as talking about the omnipresence of God. God is everywhere at once, outside of time and space. This lamb is much more than your ordinary animal you're going to see at the zoo. He stands after being slain, showing his power over death. He stands representing all power and and presence and wisdom. Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, was able to do this because he is a lamb It's like a lion. In Luke's gospel in Luke 9, 
Luke 9.51 says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And that can be seen as just kind of a throwaway verse, just an explanation. He's looking at Jerusalem. But in actuality, that verse is crucial to Luke's gospel because it's a turning point. Because everything from that point forward was to get Jesus to Jerusalem. He was focused and determined to get to the city of the people of God so that he could be a sacrifice for the people of God. He would let nothing and no one stop him from achieving his mission. He was the predator. Sin was his prey that he would devour. Even his entrance into this city, that Palm Sunday, that that triumphant entrance, it was an intentional, purposeful decision declaring his power. He rides in on a donkey. When a leader or a king rode on a donkey into a town, it was a sign of peace. They weren't riding on a war horse that could maneuver and was quick. Now, the donkey wasn't going anywhere fast. And while it might not be the most impressive visual in your head, really what it is is the leader is saying, I don't need to be impressive. I've already brought peace. I've already won. I've already been the victor. When a leader rode into town on a donkey, it was a sign of peace and not war. Jesus was declaring that he was bringing peace to the people. He hadn't even done it yet. He hadn't died yet. But he's calling his shot. He's telling them exactly what he came to do to bring peace to all people. Peace with God. Peace with one another. Peace with creation. Peace within ourselves. Jesus is declaring he is the king who brings peace. It is a confident, powerful message he declares as the lamb who is like a lion. This lamb is a lamb unlike any other. Even look as the lamb stands, scroll in hand. Those in the throne room respond in worship. They sing to him in verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. For every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. In verse 12, it says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and blessing and glory. Verse 13, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Worthy, 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 blessing and honor, glory and power. These are the declarations attributed to this little Lamb. Why? Because it is a Lamb that acts like a lion. Because though him being sl- through him being slain, the blood that stained his wool, the price was paid. The price on our heads was paid. That's what it means that he ransomed us. We were bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. You, Christian, have received grace and mercy and blessing upon blessing, new life and hope and joy. And all of it was paid for by the death of Jesus. Your status as a child of God did not come cheap. It came at the life of Jesus. Those in the throne room worship and laud this lamb because the lamb through his death and resurrection is the king of kings and lord of lords in complete power and authority and control of all things all the time. On this Palm Sunday, we celebrate, we reflect on that day when Jesus rides into Jerusalem. He is the conquering lion, the king. He conquers. He alone has the perfect righteousness, power, authority to conquer sin and death. And he conquers over everything that would try to claim to be a God. 
everything that tries to claim power, everything that tries to convince you to say, if you just follow this, if you just partake in this, if you just pursue this, it will fulfill you, it will, it will lead you, it will take care of you. The Lion of Judah says, no, I conquer all of those things. I conquer over everything and everyone who would try to distract and distance us from God. The conquering Lion of Judah arrives in Jerusalem and his conquering comes because he is a lamb. The slaughtered lamb. As it says in Hebrews 12, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the pain and shame and punishment for all of sin throughout all of eternity. And it comes, he comes out the other end, standing with the full future of humanity in his hands, in his grasp in his control. And because he stands, we stand. Because he lives, we can live. Because he lives, fear has no place here. What do we have to fear? Death? Sin? Judgment? No, their power has been stripped from them. All authority, all power, all hope, all grace, all mercy, all of everything is in the hands of the slaughtered lamb, the conquering lion, the son of God, Jesus this is who we have placed our faith, our hope, our future, our everything in. It is on him that we find peace and refuge and safety. And let me ask you this morning, if that is not true for you, why? What is holding you back? Because he has gone to conquer for you. He has gone to die for you. Let today be that day that as he stands at the door, the conquering lion who has conquered everything to prove that he is alone, king of kings and lord of lords, that he is the powerful, almighty one who is trustworthy, dependable, good and strong, and that he is the lamb who died for you, for you, for me, for all of humanity, that anyone who would put their faith in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of sins would find hope and new life here and now, and new life in eternity with him. You are stand, your standing before God comes down to what do you believe, where do you stand with the lion and the lamb? That and that alone. Have you put your faith in Christ, him and him alone? He rode into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, firm and focused on what needed to be done. He died so that we might find forgiveness and grace and mercy. And though it looked dark and gloomy and hopeless, the dawn of Sunday still broke. It still breaks. The tomb was empty. Jesus is alive. The Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, Jesus. Let's pray. God, you are good and gracious, merciful, powerful, in control of all things all the time. Lord, we are so thankful, so humbled, so in awe of your love and grace and mercy and power and just who you are. Lord, I pray that this morning, if anyone doesn't know you, if anyone hasn't put their faith in Jesus' life and death and burial and resurrection, that today would be the day where they choose him, where they would choose life over death, where they would choose eternity with you over eternity away from you in hell, where they would choose the hope and grace 
and mercy and forgiveness that can be found at the cross. God, as we walk through uncertain times, as we walk disconnected six feet apart from one another, let us remember that Jesus is the conquering lion. That he has already conquered, that he has already brought peace, that he is already in control of all things. That he is now waiting for his enemies to be made a footstool. He's sitting now because the work is done. He already died that death. He already hung on that cross, paying the penalty for sins. He already rose from the grave. We can celebrate, rejoice, rest in, and let that motivate and challenge and encourage us to be the lights of the world, even in the midst of darkness and confusion, to be the lights of the world you have made us to be. Lord, let us never forget. Let us never lose sight. Let us never minimize just what happened on that holy week the reality of the gospel, the good news that God would come to die for us in our place. Oh, Lord, we are thankful. Lord, help us to live that way. Help us to live in response to the gospel. Lord, we thank you and praise you. Amen.